and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kakita Kaori. And this week we are going to do our long-delayed and much-awaited, I'm sure, in-depth review of Fields of Victory. Mm-hmm. We had a whole bunch of fiction to get through because we had the Battle of Cherry Blossom Snow and also Heroes of Legend. We can get on to um, discussing supplements as they come out. Um, this is still under FFG. This was yes. This is this is the last FFG book. It'll be Edge for Writ of the Wilds and whatever comes after that. So the first part of Fields of Victory is a section called Glorious Histories, and that starts off with an intro story that is flavoring a game of shogi, which is the Japanese version of chess, flavoring that as a battle. So setting up that metaphor. Yeah, it keeps you guessing whether it's a battle or a game of chess. It's not... Yeah, a very a very offensive story, but it's just a it, it, you think you're watching a battle and it's just chess. Is yeah, is 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 this a battle using shogi as a metaphor or is this a shogi game with a battle as a metaphor? Right. <laughs> so, um yeah, the first part of that first section Glorious Histories after the intro story is a, is a breakdown of the structure of armies. So it talks about the units of armies like conscripts and Ashigaru and Bushi and mercenaries and then all those specialist units like engineers and medics and messengers and laborers and Shigenja. And then it has kind of the hierarchy of the battle and it has unit, unit leader, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, general, shogun. It does not use any Japanese terms for any of these things. It uses English terms. So, except, of course, shogun. Yeah. Which is not cited as a position ever actually filled in history. It is a theoretical position. Now, of course, a shogun in Japan is all all what the samurai were about, <laughs> you know. Well, it, it was a complicated thing because in originally it was essentially when you had the aristocracy and they hired the samurai, you know, those who serve, mm-hmm. as to, to go do their fighting for them and especially to conquer, at the time, the northern territories that weren't under the control of what we now consider to be Japan, the Japanese imperial family, the leader of that group of people was given, uh, I can't remember the, the full thing, but it gets shortened to shogun, right? So it was like the the conqueror of the northern barbarians kind of title. And it was then became the nicest title you can give to the samurai. But we know the samurai aren't actually, they're not nobility, so they don't get noble ranks. But gradually they got noble ranks. And then there was a war in which the samurai went, hey, we're kind of just in charge now. And <laughs> that was the title of the head samurai and thus became the title of the person in charge of Japan. And, and so I think there's a desire to have that as a title, but I, I think both AEG and FFG aren't quite sure what to do with it. 
because mm-hmm. we've got an you've got an emperor and and a functioning imperial system. So yeah. Mm. And certainly at this point, there is a good sidebar on medics in this section, uh, and actually, there's a fair bit in this whole book about you know playing as a medical unit, which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes along with Kitsu medics and, and stuff. So I liked this section overall. It was pretty practical and straightforward. So I enjoyed that. That's cool. There is a section on Imperial Legions. So the Imperial Legions have Samurai and Ashigaru. Yeah, the Imperial Legions have Samurai and Ashigaru, which is different than I thought, you know, <laughs> because the Ashigaru were out in the clans. You don't think of them as being the Imperials. Yeah, yeah. It tries to write up what the Imperial Legions do. Yeah. Because you've got all these clan armies, all supposedly serving the Emperor. So what is the Imperial Legions doing? Then you've got the Lion, of course. And even though it has a long section on this, it doesn't really solve that. Uh, It has a really cloudy mission that doesn't make sense. Like, the Imperial Legions will go investigate a crime, and the Imperial Legions will go help out in a time of disaster. I think the idea was maybe to make it like the National Guard, but it, it reads like the Imperial Legions do this list of things that PCs can do. Yeah. So that you can have your PCs being Imperial Legionnaires doing normal PCs. PC stuff. Things. I know, and yeah, not yeah. not really um, an adventure. Not even not really like a military unit where you deploy it to kill large amounts of people. Basically, yeah. I mean that's that's is basically it. Yeah, you know, yeah, generally that's what an army is for: is for going and and killing pretty much a large group of people, and um, that's not how it's described because that's not a PC thing to do necessarily. No. No. I mean I, I find the Imperial Legions kind of weird to begin with, given that essentially that's the job of the Lion Clan. And I realize the Lion Clan make up the, a lot of the Imperial Legions. But as stated, the Lion Clan are the right hand of the Emperor. They are Really, the the sound it sounds like they should be the Empire's standing army. They just when they're not given stuff to do, they pick fights with their neighbors. And so when they when you discover there's also Imperial Legions, that's kind of where's the overlap? What are they for? How and what's different between that and the mandate of the Lion Clan and, and things like that? Now, it made more sense if you had to have the Imperial Legions be a samurai only army. No Ashigaru, that makes it much smaller, right? Yeah. Smaller elite troops. Here, there's no sense of size for how these are, except because it's samurai and Ashigaru, it's definitely much bigger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here they have 10 different imperial legions, not just one, which makes it even weirder. So now we're talking about something significantly big, whereas before, in my understanding of that, or how I would have run. yeah the Imperial Legions, is it is a place to take all of those second sons of all of these noble houses, all of the, you know, waste of space, <laughs> you know, set, we've got we to gotta have them doing something, right? And they're all noble houses, and we all want to make friends with them. The Imperial family wants to still keep these younger skions under 
control because those are the ones most likely to cause trouble. Plus, it keeps their families under imperial control. So you make up a legion of all of these people that don't have a different job, and now they're under your control, and then you make work for them. Does that make sense? I actually, kind of similar but kind of different, make it much smaller, which I think we're both agreeing on. Mm-hmm. I would actually, because if you go with the old mission of the Otomo, which is to make sure that the other clans cannot band together and fight the emperor, right? Mm-hmm. So, in fact, you make the Imperial Legions incredibly prestigious, right? They, mm-hmm. That's It's going to be the equivalent of an Imperial Winter Court position for a courtier, right? Mm-hmm. It's re- it's super prestigious. You get to say, I'm a member of the Imperial Legion, right? And you offer that to the clans. And you actually start to headhunt not the second sons, but if there's a clan you're getting a bit worried about, you offer it to their best general, their best up-and-coming general. So now their best up-and-coming general is on your payroll, they don't have access to that guy, and they don't want to fight you now. If even if say say this is a problem with the Lion Clan, I don't they they're terribly loyal, so it probably wouldn't happen that often. But you've got a really good general who is both now a really good general on your side and a bit of a hostage in a weird kind of way. Mm-hmm. So it's a way of carrying favors with the clans, strategically weakening slash controlling them, but it, they'll be small. Really imperial. So they'd be doing things like the Emperor's Gift. They would be the outer defences of Otanuchi to supplement the Seppum if a high-ranking imperial, like the imperial princes, might have a small bodyguard of Seppum but an honour guard of imperials, imperial legions, that kind of thing. But I think we're both agreeing that they feel like pre-Clan War, a really pre- the second day of thunder. If the second day of thunder goes the same way as it did in AEG times, in mm-hmm. AEG times, I can see Torturi making imperial legions and making them a big thing because that's the point where you think we need people to actually stop the clans fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas pre the clan wars, that's not really a thing you feel you need because those sorts of wars don't really happen. So I like the idea of them being smaller. Really prestigious, but almost ceremonial. Yes, and I think we're actually agreed on that. And they can be both. So they're super prestigious. They're small. You can use them to grab that good general and squirrel it away as a hostage. You can also use it to promote out people out of the way, you know, to where they aren't dangerous anymore. And deal with the the idea of how do I give second sons of really, really, um, of people <laughs> something to do. I suspect the clans are going to come, what are we going to do with our second son? We need our, our, we need our, our, first, our first child is obviously going to inherit and we're, we're grooming them for, for inheritance. What are we going to do with this spare? Well, actually, if we can get them a prestigious posting in the Imperial Legions, that's going to be awesome. That's going to raise our status. Let's do because then we can swan around going. So yeah, yeah. So that may not be the mission from the Imperial Legion's point of view, but the other the the outsiders, the the clans are going to want to do that. Yeah. So that's how I see them. I think they'll be. 
a better use for them up until the 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 clan wars and if the imperials start going uh we need a proper military force now because the clans are going crazy of course this is all this was all just us in there what they have is a bigger force of 10 legions with ashigaru and we just don't know why so yeah take it as you will the next section is on great clan armies styles and I liked this. It gives you a little breakdown for each of the ways that the clan armies would operate. And it was mostly what I expected, except there were some weird things. The main thing is that they use this thing. They, they, they described how they do their battles. And then they have a signature warrior for each clan. And the way it's phrased, it's like this signature warrior would kind of be like the mainstay of their forces. Right, so so I would assume for the crane that you'd be Daidoji Iron Warrior. That would be your, absolutely. Yeah, you you think crane? That's who you think of, like the the pure crane military. Right. So, but there were some weird. You, you would you would think that that was like the bulk of their troops, but for dragon, they use the Isazume. And for the scorpion, they use Shishuro infiltrators. And I think that this is Even a more, huge yeah. mistake because Isuzume are actually really pretty rare. And it, it disses the Miramoto because the Miramoto Bushi are the mainstay of dragon Absolutely. armies. That's what you will see on the bag- dragon fields. You might see one Tagashi. In like a whole army doing, because he decides to wander that way. But you're not going to see legions of Tagashi lined up. No, you may get the occasional unit if, if everything is being brought out, if the big guns are being brought out. And it must be said that these Izume will very likely have a an outsized impact. You know, people will go, oh, oh, those, that, wow. I didn't think that small number of people would be, oh, my goodness. Oh, everything's on fire, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. And and is that is that guy being a tiger now? And you know that that kind of thing. <laughs> but no, that is not going to be the mainstay. There there just isn't enough of them. Well, I, I feel like it, it's a disservice to the Miramoto because this is yeah. You know, I think the Miramoto kind of get overshadowed anyway with the dragon, uh, and they yes. could use every bit of characterization and stuff that they can get from this from. The story, I mean, I think that they're cool, but I think that they could use more characterization. Tagashi are really already very distinct, so why not use this opportunity to talk about them a little bit more? The thing with the Shisori Infiltrator as the signature warrior of the Scorpion is that you would never know that the guy you're fighting is the <laughs> exactly. Shisori Infiltrator. You know, you just wouldn't, you, you wouldn't know. <laughs> And I think this goes back to the Scorpion not even getting their Bushi in the uh, core book. Of course, you know, their their forces on the field are not going to be filled with it. Didn't, didn't they take, like, wasn't it a couple of supplements before they even got their first actual Bushi tag school? Yes. My memory is terrible, but I don't think they even got one in uh, Shadowlands, which is the first one out. No, they didn't. So it's... Anyway, so you see, you see the problem there. Shashori Infiltrator, they're not going to be on the battlefield at all if they're actually being a Shashori Infiltrator. They'll be like... If they're in the battlefield, you won't know. <laughs> yeah. If they're on the battlefield, they're on your side. <laughs> they're yeah. in your troops. 
or, or they're, the, they're the people you, you, aha, we have killed this unit and we will step over the bodies of the, of the slain to get at the, oh, wait, oh, no, they're not as quite as slain as we thought they were. And Things like that. Yeah, that's, yes, that seems a bit weird. But I, I do like the idea of, of an overview of each clan like that telling you what they're like, but those two choices seem a bit strange. Yeah. So one of the things that I... I didn't like a little bit, and this is me being um, crane biased. You'll see that in this mm. thing. I can't help it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that they talk about the crane primarily using a lot of Ronin. This is this is brand new. This has never been before, this edition. And um, it goes against some of the other fiction we've talked about where, you know, Basically, Hataru in the fiction is saying that, you know, wow, this is terrible that we have to use Ronin. So if their crane are always using Ronin, why would the champion be saying, oh, it's terrible, we have to use Ronin? So that's kind of new. They also do the whole crane lead from the rear or in camp. They aren't out on the battlefield. And there's this crane or cowardly that goes into the whole sissified anti-gay prejudice, to be honest, that that I just don't... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 no, I agree that, that, that framing that way is terrible because a lot of people would argue that leading from the rear is a sensible thing to do because that way you can keep track of what on earth is going on. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. in the middle, if you're actually in the fight yourself, you have no idea what's going on in the left wing. Because you can see, at best, the unit in front of you and the unit to the side of you. Whereas staying back and looking at what's going on and having your runners going backwards and forwards and listening to your advisors and saying, okay, now we need to start using these reserves. And now we, okay, now we're going to start doing a measured retreat here. That's mm-hmm. possibly the sensible thing to do. Right. And so that, I mean, it's, it's going to be something that, you know, having your commanders looking at intelligence and fighting from yeah, and being from the rear like that is something all of the clans do. You d- yeah. I mean, the lion aren't going to not have intelligence being brought to them. Okay. They're not going to, you know, so it's like, they didn't frame it like it was cowardly there. It's just like, why did you tag it why out for it brain out? like yeah. that? When, when that's, not abnormal for anybody as yeah. is. And and with Crane, what you do is you stick your duelist, you know, your highest ranked people in the in the front because you need those people to do duels. Right? Yeah. You can't yeah. so if I want to duel the enemy commander, right? If I want him to die in a duel, in order for him to accept the duel, I have to put someone of equal rank to the enemy commander out on the front of the field to duel him because you can turn down a duel with no loss of face if your statuses aren't equal. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've got to they've got to be within a rank or so, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Right. At which point you're uh yeah, you know, if you're the same rank, it's not like you're hiding in the rear. <laughs> you're like yeah. going out and dueling them on the front. Anyway, that just is kind of weird, but oh well. <laughs> And they also have some commentaries on what the Lion think of the other armies, which is something I've always liked. I really I really like the points of view, this is what this clan thinks of this other clan 
because that helps, I think, get into character fairly mm-hmm. quickly. And yeah, I wish they had more of that. It's not necessarily what your character thinks, yes. It's not necessarily what your character thinks, but that's what your character would have heard growing up. And I, I always like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It has a section on the armies in action, uh, just how to figure out how to make armies fit into a campaign. And I find it, uh, it, it was it was a good section. It needed to be written, okay? Uh, I found it a little bit too focused on Emerald Magistrates, being able to call up armies on a whim. I, I wish that they had tried to be a little bit more imaginative and give you more options than yeah. the Emerald Magistrates need an army to go fight somebody. It is a challenge. Maybe we should do a podcast just on ideas to make military campaigns. <laughs> Brainstorm some up for you. Yeah, yeah. It can be tough given the very strict chain of command, which I think very often doesn't work terribly well with uh, role-playing groups. But, you know, maybe come up with some things both from clan military, but also your Imperial Legion type campaigns and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I see that the walls must be sanctioned, and that is a a thing that that has been part of the setting, or at least the kind of retconned reason for it was the first Yasuki War, which mm-hmm. was essentially the first big total war between two clans, and everyone kind of went, "Oh, oh, that's really bad. Uh, maybe that shouldn't happen." And so now you need to kind of fill out some paperwork, or at least come up with a really good reason for why you're having a war. And most wars are kind of very limited. It's like one family versus another or one (laughs) province versus another, that kind of thing. It's not supposed to turn into all-out total war, which, as we see, can still happen, as it did in the more recent fictions. Right. And that does make it harder to do these military campaigns. So I guess we'll save that for a... (laughs) <laughs> next episode someday. I mean, a lot of it depends on what era you're running your game in. Let's put it that. Let's put it like that. So that's true. Let's see. The next section is called Bastions of History. The next part of this section, and this is descriptions of all of the key books that we've kind of talked about throughout history. So they have. Akoto's Leadership, Niten, Kikita's The Sword, Bayushi's Lies, all of those. They also add a new one, which I liked, which was the Golden History and also the Secret Histories of the Unicorn. They are both the unicorn books. The Golden History is like the official official book that the unicorn presented saying, this is what happened to us while we were in the Burning Sands. And the Secret Histories is, this is what really happened to us while we were out in the Burning Sands. Which has some interesting parallels to one of the more famous texts, which is the Secret History of the Mongols, which is uh, a real text which tells the story of Genghis Khan. Cool, cool. So that's I like that. That's really cool. There's also spent some time talking about different libraries in the empire. So these are more untraditional libraries, like the Daidoji Military Library and Kudnasako, which you'd expect to be a giant traditional library. There's the Caillou Engineering Academy. So there's just they're just a, a little paragraph a piece write up of them and I, I liked I liked them. In addition in this section there's a really big write up 
uh, of the Akota War College. And I really liked that. Um, my only, I wish that they had done this for each of the other books because you are always at first level starting out as young samurai. I mean, that's, you are, you are new almost always, right? Which means your links to your school would be strong. You know, you're, these are where your sensei went. This is her. And so having your school be written up and characterized is it makes it a, a nexus for plots. Does that make yes. sense? Because you care yeah, what absolutely. happened to your school because you just graduated from your school. And school plot nexus to me is is like uh, just just more more in, in, more useful than other random castles and stuff around the countryside, yeah. especially if it's a school that, you know, has name the way Akota War College does that, you know, a lot of people will have come through or, or have links to in the in the lion, as opposed Absolutely. to a school like a Sevenfold Palace, where we don't have any um, classes that directly come from. Sevenfold Palace is a crane school, and it gives a nice write-up. But unfortunately, we don't say, okay, these school techniques come from Sevenfold Palace. It's it's kind of like all artisans, NPC artisans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except because he's swordsmith, which is a very rare class. So it's kind of like... Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to have that for, yeah. For like the Heat of War College <laughs> or... Um, yeah, yeah. Kaya Engineering Academy. There's there's loads of potential, and you see it a lot in the samurai fiction. Is the link between the student and the master, and the student and their school, and how strong that those bonds can be, and the plots that they generate. And yeah, be love to have mm-hmm. love to have more information to tie those into an actual campaign. But here they have this one, so this is good for Lion. So that's great. <laughs> Yeah, and and as a template for your own things as well. That's always nice to have, kind of an example. Uh, The next section is The Empire at War, A History of the Empire. This is written from a very lion point of view, apparently. So, mm, Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't our fault. Those other people started it. I don't know why you think it was us. Yeah, it's a very nice history um, overall. I liked it. However, anyway, again, here's my here's my crane hat, so you'll have to put up with me, Kovar. I'm sorry. Um, it was written to have the crane set up as the aggressors for a lot of things, as opposed to like trying to make it it balanced. So if if I am writing a history of events, and and I'm trying to talk about a history of wars in general, yeah, from a dispassionate point of view for my background history, especially in a situation like L5R. I like to say, okay, there was this miscommunication or, you know, they wanted this and they wanted this and both this is our goods, our good, and that puts them in conflict. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, absolutely, like yeah. Equal, yeah. equal, because, you know, a lot, of, not every war, <laughs> of course not every war, but a lot of conflicts and, you know, are, are like that, you know, uh, especially in this kind of, it, it doesn't need a, a huge aggressor every time, mm-hmm. or at least you know people have 
justified. But here they didn't do that. They wrote a lot of things to make the crane out as aggressors. The the one that pisses me off the most, I admit, is the Battle of Regret's Shadow. Right. Which takes place in 123, which is only 20 years after Lady Doji dies. Okay. Right. Where the crane are attacking the emperor to take the throne. Emperor Genji yeah. to take the throne. It's like, why? Why do you why is that there? Why why have the crane do that for starters? I mean, they just lost their kami a few years before. That would just seem to like make a big, big difference. Um I, I think the intention was this is like the founding of the Colot, but you could have it be not a clan at that point. It's so early, not everybody's a clan, you know? So I yeah, yeah. don't quite I don't quite get why they chose to do that. They also have the crane attacking the crab and attacking the lion for different reasons uh that just don't have any explanation given to them. So that annoys me because why? You know, yeah. why, why Why do you do that? I, I, I don't know. Because, uh, and I think it's just trying to say it's from the lion point of view and the crane are always bad or something. I, I guess. I don't know. But but there you go. There's even one where they have, so one is the Battle of the Hour of the Wolf, which has the lion attack in in the story is the lion attacking the scorpion and the crane come to help and here it's the crane and scorpion are crossing biden passed into lion lance for no reason and it specifically says it has no reason it's like yeah what's the deal i mean if that all came with a sidebar that said by the way this might well be the lion's point of view don't take this as absolutely red, but no, because wars are astonishingly rarely down to one side just starts attacking. That's <laughs> it's very, very rare. These things build and build and build and build, and there's stuff on both sides, and it's entire social movements and social developments, not that one guy says attack. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of – I suspect that's harder to put into a single chapter in a in a supplement like this. Probably. They could have shared the love around a bit. Uh, let's see. There's yeah. an imperialism sidebar uh, in there talking about basically, you know, imperialism is not good and, um, you know, you should – be careful when you play it. So this is going back to what we saw in previous books with them talking about that. And I'll just I'll just leave that there. Some historic events are listed that we've talked about from in other episodes from Old Five R. So this brings in Ichiban. This has the Great Famine. This has the history of Toshirambo. Uh, this has the return of the unicorn, and then it has some new battles. Uh, the one in Regret Shadows I talked about. They have one where the emperor wipes out the bear clan. Then a series of Ujik attacks. So this is all meant to give the lion a, a history of wars that they are fighting. The problem with lion always has been that they don't have a border with outside the empire. 
So this is complicated for them. They did for several hundred years when they took over the former lands of the Kirin clan. But for the past couple of hundred years, they have not had a border with the outside world. And yes, that's a thing. That really is. <laughs> so never mind, eh? So moving on from that, this is all this is still all section one of the book. So we move now into the actual lion clan itself. So this is the clan write-up, which is integral to these these books. So as we would expect, each family gets a section. So you get things about their reputation, their values, their culture and traditions. They get a location or locations. NBC, sidebar or two. So a lot of information about the individuals and what it's like to come from a particular family and learning about subgroups within that family. So we get some information on the Death Seekers and other groups like the Ecoma Shadows. So mm-hmm. if you're playing a lion character, I suspect this is going to be a gold mine for you. <laughs> this is good. There is a map of Lion Clan Lands. However, the map is pretty messed up. Or at least it's going to be really, really hard to reconcile with the other maps that we have of of Rokugan from the other books. Because it puts the Kitsu tombs where Kudenshika was, the Deer Clan Palace, in all the other maps. It puts Last Breath Castle, which is across the river, basically in Scorpion Lands. And it puts Humility, this lesson dojo, going where the Sacred Watch Palace was. Wow. Yeah, move the sacred watch palace around. So there was no attempt to look at the other maps, really, to locate these buildings for a lot of them. However, most of them are fixable, except for the Kudenshika one. But overall, I find that the um, Lion Clan version of the map seems to me to be better. So um, just... I don't know exactly how we're going to resolve where to put the Deer Clan Palace since now it's in the middle of Lion Clan lands. It just doesn't work very well. So we'll have to think about that. Um, unless, you know, the deer keep the ancestors in their basement. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Did they give a, an example of where Kudenshika is or do they just have Kitsu tombs there? No, they don't. They just, in the place where Kudenshika was on... In Courts of Stone on that map is where the Kitsu tombs are now. Like, oh, okay. (laughs) That should be fun. But it has a nice amount of lore, either in the main text or the sidebars or in some of the write-ups of the school, Uh, unlike uh, Celestial Realms, which I did not think gave any any lore, really. Mm. Only one change. Uh, Lady Matsu is not a bandit anymore. Um, She's just kind of a keeper of a dojo. I guess, okay. but it, but it was fine. I, I I I liked it. So that was um that was kind of the the Lion Clan part. It was short. It always feels short to me for these in clan parts compared to uh, the minor clan section, which gets a big heading and yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. It seems <laughs> just just well, yeah, seems weird. But I suppose the difference is this section which is on the badger clan is going to be pretty much the only 
section, the only information about the Badger Clan, whereas there's lots of Lion Clan information spread about all sorts of other books. So maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of the Badger Clan, uh, the Badgers in Nifavar are founded by Crab Sumai on a warrior's pilgrimage, the Mushio Shugyo. And he was called Ichiro, and he rallied a group of villagers to defend a pass into the empire against a foreign invasion. So that begins their kind of, that's their thing. They, they kind of, they plug a particular gap in the borders of Rocky. Mm-hmm. We get some locations. There's information about Sumai, and they, they, they also, I believe they, they do stuff in the silk trade. Mm-hmm. And they have two schools, the Ichiro Grappler and the Ichiro Ironsmith. So uh, yeah. I haven't read those myself, so tell me what you think. Well, the Ironsmith, the, the Grappler school is a good, solid, I want to make a Sumai wrestler school. And I, I, right. we, we'll talk about schools in a bit, but I think that if you have somebody who wants to make a Sumai wrestler character from another clan, you just give them the Badger school and say, you know, you somehow learned this doing sumai because sumai is the same everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sumo is sumo is sumo. Sumo, yeah, sumo. S- sumo is sumo, sumo. So just give them that school and it's it's solid. I, I like the school. It's fine. The ironsmith that they have seems like a, a bit of a waste of time. I don't get why some minor clans get one school and some get two schools. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought that the Badger were fine, Minor Clan, and I did really like their environment. I think it's a great setting, this little valley against the uh, outside of Rokugan yeah. with certain kinds of trade, and it's got lots of shrines and all kinds of things. This environment is a really good place to have one or more adventures in, and the Badgers fit well with it. So... Um, I think that that's that's cool. What was the deal in old law? Was it as simple as we have this valley and it's more or less that okay in law, old lore, and it's hinted it might be true here, but it's not made a big deal of it. Yeah, the place where the badger were guarding is where Riotion, the tenth kami, was buried. Right, right. And so they had this link to Riotion. Right. So it's not made a point of here, which might simply mean that it's not known, which it wasn't at the time, if I remember. Not known. The next section is the new schools. So I I talked about the grappler already. It's uh, being a solid school and for unarmed people. The swordsmith, Frank, so all of the schools are just like every other school you see in the in the books. The swordsmith school has a terrible technique, school technique. It's limited only to the crafting and the Ichiro pattern, which the school is, you know, starts off with patterns being important is focused on making cheap weapons, like weapons for Ashigaru, cheap weapons. So what is the point of making an artisan school that focuses on making cheap junk weapons? I mean, the Kikita swordsmith school is hard enough to wrangle a, PC out of, but uh, yeah. it's, it's like, okay, we're making another Smith. Okay, oh, they make armor as well, but like, I think they could have used this to make 
a school that they don't have, like a Sapumbushi, which would have been yeah. a good school. You know, other other things. Uh, I, I don't see why the Badger needed two schools, especially when you have a school like this that is just like, I don't see who would play it or why you would play it. But that's me. Yeah. You might like to. It's hard enough making a crafting school in the first place because it's hard enough to make a player character who's a crafter who shouldn't just stay home and make the thing Mm -hmm. that they know how to make. And then if you're going to make a crafting school, pretty much the only thing – the obvious thing to do is you craft real good. And then, well, I'm going to make a crafting school. How am I going to make it different? Because all of them are you craft real good. Well, what else is there? And I suppose you craft kind of cheap is a different thing, but is that all that interesting? It, it certainly doesn't doesn't seem particularly appealing. Uh, we have the Agasha Ascetic Bushi, which is essentially a Shugenja melee school. They're a non-creator Agasha. There's no particular difference between them and the regular Agasha. Um, but they they use different techniques. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's necessarily a bad pattern to do. It's like the Agasha teach these two different things and, you know, mm-hmm. they might be different enough to do different, different skills. The question is how good is it at what it does, I suppose. Yeah. it's It, it basically says it's going to give you bigger and bigger resistance, melee resistance, the more you channel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a solid school in terms of strength. It's not overstrong by the looks of it. I haven't had a chance to play it over a week. Uh, and it does encourage channeling, which counteracts the whole combat stuff. Yeah. But I don't like this style that has creeped into New 5R of your Shigenja being melee fighters. Right. Because... Shigenja have always been very strong in L5R. That's part of part of the thing. That's part of the deal. But now they're strong on Bushi's turf as well. And they and they definitely outdo them. There's a large number of hi, I'm an Asahina pacifist who's going to tear you apart with my katana of fire because I yeah. do that now. I mean, the game system encourages it against theme. And here it it overtly uh, encourages it, though the school is somewhat synergized against itself because if you're channeling, you're not doing anything else. But your resistance is then high and you can channel channel to make that katana of fire. So now you've got a really good katana of fire and you've also increased your resistance. Yeah, I, I know the kind of... Spellblade, Hexblade, Bladesinger type archetype is quite popular. I think that's one of the things we kind of have to blame D&D for. But I suppose having something like that around is not a terrible thing. But if I, I get what you mean, that, that having someone who is a Shugenja who also gets to be a Bushi. Out Bushi. Out Bushi is the yeah, big problem. Out the Bushi, Bushi was stronger. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very easy to do. Because um, Shigenja, even though if they don't have kata in their school, you you pick up. A, there's lots of titles that give yes. you access to all the kata. So yeah. Now there's a particularly 
controversial school, which I think I should <laughs> like to ask you about, who does come next in alphabetical order, mm-hmm. is the Okoto Soldier. So do – yeah, what's what's up with that? Okay. So the Okoto Soldier is frankly grossly overpowered, okay? I think it was created to be a mirror of the Okoto Commander School uh, where right. it um, – you know, you take fatigue and get bonus successes. Mm. Here, it, you can convert, you can take off up to your school rank of strife and turn that directly into opportunities at the cost of one fatigue. So, just to quickly check, is that one fatigue per strife you do this with? No, just straight no. up one fatigue. Wow. Right. So what happens is, so first level, this looks like it might be okay. You know? Yeah. I drop a strife and gain an opportunity. Uh, and to be clear, you that strife, you're not suffering. Yes. Is that right? You take off the strife of you. Yes, oh, you take nice. the strife off of you. Yeah. So it's good both ways for taking off the strife yeah. and giving you the opportunity. Maybe for one opportunity, it's okay. But here's what happens. After first level, you get multiple opportunities. You can take off two strife, three strife, four strife, four, two, three, four opportunities. This is on every attack roll and every movement roll, okay? Since you can spend opportunities to remove fatigue Mm. in water, now it's cost-free. Yeah, yeah. There's no – so you can keep doing it. So that, that if you are in water stance, you have up to four opportunities for free and remove four strife for, for free. And the fifth – and uh, remove five strife, get four opportunities, and spend one of those opportunities to negate the fatigue. So it's, it's like it's – now, a critical strike is two opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you could do easily, easily a critical strike on every action with this school. Especially, I mean, when you think about it, an awful lot of your warrior types, they're going to have way more endurance than they are likely to have composure. So oh, absolutely. So removing multiple strife, which is a weaker stat, and I'm mm-hmm. gaining – I'm taking – one fatigue, only one, mm-hmm. onto what is likely to be my strongest at. And mm-hmm. because I've got the opportunities, which can be used for all sorts of things in kata, not just your critical strike, but the yeah, the critical strike for two opportunities is a, is a really common one. Um, I'm probably going to take less damage because I'm critting all over the place or I'm able to use this super awesome technique. Wow. Mm-hmm. That does seem frightening. Yeah, and uh, you know, opportunities for combat are very often much more powerful than bonus successes because, as you said, they fuel kata. So basically, read this as a free critical strike on every attack after first level. That's that's how you should read it, and and I think that this school should be homebrewed to change its ability in some fashion. I don't have recommendations yet, or it should be banned at your table. Because this will just blow your combat dynamics out of the way. 
and a comparison. So other schools that get free opportunities is like the Asahina Shikinja, which is considered really, really strong. And they do it on one kind of role, right? One, one kind of spell for, for each of that spell. And that's super strong. The Doji Diplomat is extremely strong. They can only add the opportunities. They don't get the removing strife, but they can just add the opportunities once per scene, only on a persuade roll. So that's your comparison. Yeah. Doing it all for one fatigue seems bonkers. Uh. Yeah. So this is just, you got you to gotta change this, this school if you want it to be balanced with it. Sorry. Sometimes, sometimes you miss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let, yeah, moving on from the Akoda Soldier, <laughs> we have the Daidoji Harrier, the well-known fine upstanding warriors, not ninja. I don't know what you mean. They're scouts. Scouts, I tell you. They have their unique lore because the Daidoji Harrier is actually pretty cool. Sounds like a pretty middle-of-the-road school. Uh, you give strife when you attack someone who is unaware, which seems very in-keeping. So it's like, not only have I been stabbed from surprise, I'm really quite upset about this. <laughs> pretty <laughs> <Or> much, yes. <laughs> strife, strife isn't always negative. Maybe you're really happy about being stabbed in the back when you weren't expecting it. I don't think that's very likely. Uh, but I think that's that's... It's it's kind of like psychologically, you attack them not just when it would hurt most, but when it would really surprise them and be, oh, I, I, you know, that, that really that really unbalances me mentally. I think that's actually quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it adds shuji to the curriculum, which is quite nice. Yeah, it basically has all the all the ninjutsu. This is this is a school that just has all the ninjutsu in the curriculum for yeah doing bomb bomb things. So and bomb throwing, yes. There's a lot of bomb stuff in the techniques of this. Mm. Much was made of the fact that blasting powder is now officially part of the game. (laughs) Uh, The next school is the Heat of Battle Leader. I I liked the crab having a commander school. Um, I think it's very appropriate, and uh, this one seems solid. The ability is appropriate, you know, removing strife, keeping your troops in line in face of... yeah. Horrors. You know, horrible Shadowlands of things, I think. Uh, the curriculum is all about the beseeches. So there are some rituals that we will kind of talk about later on that are uh, beseeching the various kami. And this school has access to all of them. Um, okay. and Or almost all of them. And so it's really about showing off how those new rituals work. So I think uh, for these fifth edition supplement books, they don't, in my view, create the schools based on there needs to be a school for this Yeah. in there. It's all about, hi, we've created a new mechanic or a new um, mm. something that we need a school to show off this new mechanic. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So very cool. Battle leaders like that. Moving on, we have the E-Day Messenger School, which looks to be a good school for intrigues or being a courtier. In Old Father, they were good at, well, not quite mind reading, it must be said, but uh, that's not quite what they do here. Their ability is removing strife from target to make the target member to do something, do a skill lower. So it's kind of helping people along being, being useful. It's only on initiative. 
but it's still solid quarter score from from looks things. Yeah, it, it, so it lowers the TN to target somebody by removing their strife. So it, it, it's good. It's a good school, um, and it's very thematic. They they could have done it on multiple, you know, make it an, an action rather than right. only doing it with initiative. And then they could have lowered the target strife more often and, and done it. I think that would have been okay. But I don't know. They're... FFG is big on making sure that the courtier schools are are properly restrained and not to uh, mm, don't get out of hand. Crazy. Unlike, say, a code of soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't want those wild and crazy courtiers dominating everything. <laughs> no, that'd be terrible. Kind of that. The next school is the Asawa Tensei School. So, does this finally get the Phoenix equals number Shikinja schools to the Scorpion? Answer. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How many are. supplements did that take to get it so Quite that the few. Phoenix have equal numbers of good schools to the Scorpion? It's like, oh my lord! I take it this is the the element focused school. So <laughs> good at I'm good at Earth. Particularly, is that is that what we're dealing with here? Yes. So it doesn't have a different lore. You know, like a. They come from a different place than regular Asawa elementalists. Um, but this is the focused element version of the school. Okay. It is a very strong school. Uh, it does what the Asahina school does. It adds the ops to every role in that element. But, um, you know, it, <laughs> it, Asawa Tensei are supposed to be strong, the strongest Uh in, in their element, uh, it does have uh, it really easy. If you keep two strife, you can get backlash on any other elements. So it it, right. it, it helps right. balance. It makes it harder to backlash for your focused element, mm. but it makes it easier on every other element. So that I kind like of that. helps like helps keep it balanced, and it certainly is flavorful. So. For those people who haven't played Old Five Art, the Tensai used to be a very strong school. It used to be that every every Shigenja was element-focused. So you would have an element you were good at, an element you were bad at. So you might be good at fire, and you'd count as one school rank higher for fire. But you're deficient in water, so you count as one rank lower for water. Phoenix, or the, the standard Isawa school, was no deficiencies. You're good at everything. But then the the Tensai school was you get to be double good at your good element and you get a single deficit in another element, which you choose, mm-hmm. which is actually strong in itself. So that's why we get a, a Tensai school that is focused in one element. But even though even here it seems less less of that really narrow focus, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. I like that. That's, that sounds like it's a good balance though. So the next one is an interesting one because I think this is one of the harder ones to make work. This is the Matsu Beastmaster. And uh, I have often found that a school or a character class or, or whatever that revolves around having extra characters on the field, in this case, the Beastmaster traditionally was lions. Obviously, it goes mm-hmm. with the Lion Clan theme. Admittedly, the Beastmaster does suggest going with two dogs, but I suspect a lot of players be saying, I'd like a lion, please. But trying <laughs> yes. to make that 
balance. I'd love to see this. I, don't, I, I would have to see this in play to see how it works in terms of balance. But it is using the attendant rules, which is it takes an action. It's not a role, but your the player character takes an action to give the command to make their, in this case, attack dogs or lion or whatever. It takes an action to make them attack. So th- I, I think that may help balance the action economy. Yes, that's that's a reminder. They don't spell that out in the game. They don't... All right. So they don't tell you in the book, when you look at the rules for Beastmaster or anything, that you should treat your pets like attendants and, and do this. You give an action to command, but you, you really need to do that to keep the action economy correct. All right. Otherwise, you're doing two actions <laughs> in general. It gets, it gets very crazy very quickly if, you, if you're not careful. All right. The Beastmaster itself, the school, makes your critters... Uh, stronger and more dangerous so that they can go do... They can level up with you. Yeah, and, and do um, angry animal things to your enemies. Yeah. So <laughs> so that's it. Just keep just keep in mind that uh, and, until the last level of Beastmaster, at least, you know, you've got to have your Beastmaster at least doing their um, command action with you. Yeah. To, to do it. Um, and it doesn't need a role, but it does need you to take the action to tell them to. to. So Water Stance is good for Beastmasters. Yeah. Let's see. Yoga Penitence. Um, putting, putting monks in Scorpion is the last place I thought I'd see more monks. Um, yeah. They have so many Shikinja. You know, I didn't, I didn't think I'd see them there, but okay, that's fine. Well, I, you kind of think that they would, they would be kind of monks i guess I, I i like i think like you if someone said we're going to make a new monk order scorpion clan and yoga clan specifically yoga family was like that's probably not the first thought but when they say yoga penitence i kind of go yeah that i can see that maybe yeah i, I like that i kind of actually hope this is probably unreasonable but i kind of hope that they go ahead and make um a monk keyhole using, if they're going to do this, if they're going to spread it out, so now crabs have monks and scorpion have monks. I, I was like, yeah, let's give everybody monks. You know, monks let, for everyone. have monks, but we'll see. We'll have to see if they do that. How much do you want to bet that someone said, "Hey, we, let's let's make a new Shigenja class for the scorpion," and someone said, "No." No. no, we can make monk. <laughs> yes, he can make it a monk. <laughs> it's close enough. It's still magic. <laughs> It'll do. It'll do. So what they do is they can release a keyhole that they're holding and get the burst effect again. Okay. So they spend a void and the burst effect, you know, they can get the burst effect again. Okay. Mm. Um, it is important to remember the burst effects for keyhole are strong. Okay. Yeah. And you should remember that once a yoga penitent has unleashed their burst effect again, so they've done the initial putting on the keyhole and gotten the initial burst effect from using it, right? Whatever it might be. Yeah, because the keyhole itself, even if you don't get the burst effect, there is the the main effect of the keyhole. So you get to keep that. Right. So you've gotten the burst effect from initially setting up. Then you've got the keyhole. 
the yoga penitent would generally immediately want to release the kiho to get the burst effect again because the burst effects are that strong. It is important to remember that it takes a full round to put on the kiho again in order to release it again. Got so if you are doing this, you kind of ha- are, should have a a punctuated fight, mm. if that makes sense, before you can trigger the burst effect. And I have noticed that it is a shikinja thing, to, uh, a monk thing to do to just do this effect anyway, because the burst effects are that strong. Just because you think you can get the burst effect off your initial rolls, putting on the keyhole, so this encourages it that doing that even even more. So just just watch it. Some of the keyhole burst effects are pretty pretty terrible, and you're going to end up having this ex- amazing exploding monk, no matter yeah. what, who just like stands there and puts on and takes off keyhole. He doesn't do anything. He can't attack because that's an action. He just stands there and. <laughs> takes off his keyhole. His keyhole back and back forwards. Do, do they get any bonus to getting the burst effect? Because the I, it automatically goes off. Oh, they automatically get the burst effect when they release the keyhole. Wow! If I'm remembering this right, so yeah, yeah, because because getting the the burst effect is actually quite hard if you're not Tagashi, because mm-hmm. you have to have bonus successes equal to whatever. I can't remember how many it is. Yeah, if you've got a chance to automatically get the key, get the burst effect, that's quite strong. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of those, the schools. <laughs> that's the end of part one of this. Yep, we have a fair amount to go. So in our next episode, we're going to be looking at character creation stuff, items, new techniques, battle rules. <laughs> and all that good stuff. Yeah, all that good stuff. So we've got a lot more to go. This is a fairly significant supplements so that is what we have to look forward to next week but for this week that's it wanted to call out our court games network in particular uh well our l5r lcg podcast is been put aside for and it may come back related to the emerald legacy which i can talk about a little bit uh next episode i think i might have a section on on that and our Live from Tokyo podcast is also on hold indefinitely. But we also have two actual role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortune and Strife. And there are our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website, corkgamespod.com, where you can store and see long-term information, summaries of podcasts, great RPG tools, forums, and more. For our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash courtgames, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and much more. Online, you can find us, as I said, at our website, courtgamespod.com. On Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And our Patreon is at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva, and until we meet again... Keep your jade handy.